0: Previously on Transformers University, we talked about the impact and the legacy of the 1986 animated feature, Transformers the movie. And now, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper look at the soundtrack and the score to that film, and we'll take a look at the history and the legacy of the people that brought that soundtrack to you right now on Transformers University. hello my friend and welcome to transformers university episode number 66 66 i am your host anthony brucalli owner operator madman behind tfu.info the website the toy archive these podcasts the youtube channel and more in this episode we're going to talk a bit about the soundtrack to transformers the movie you know for me it was never one of my favorite things uh, um, when it came to Transformers the movie, uh, but in analyzing the film for episode 50 and 51 of this podcast, uh, I've kind of developed a new appreciation for it. And I think some of that uh, you know, that early disdain uh, is just kind of an age-related thing. So uh, as many of you know, I love uh, the heavy metal. Uh, I am a heavy metal nerd uh, on top of being a Transformers nerd. And uh, the style of heavy metal that is uh, within the Transformers, the movie soundtrack, or at least uh, makes up about half of it, if not a little bit more, um, was something I always felt in my teenage years, my early 20s, uh, I had grown out of. And, uh, and so uh, it didn't really always appeal to me, especially if it wasn't from a top-level uh, music artist. Uh, so... I've kind of in the past just turned my nose up at the Transformers, the movie soundtrack. And in retrospect, that was to my own detriment because in listening to this album a few times to uh, talk about it here, I've certainly gained a new appreciation for some of the songs. I think it gets the label of being a hair metal soundtrack, uh, which is one kind of undeserved and two, um, it's a terrible misnomer for the most part um I, i've i been late listening lately to uh ricky rackman's podcast if you're not familiar with ricky rackman he used to host headbangers ball on uh, mtv in the late 80s and early 90s and uh he owned one of the uh most important clubs in metal history uh the cat house in hollywood california and uh, that club is kind of what brought the world uh, Guns N' Roses and a number of other acts uh, associated with what they would call the L.A. scene. And that's kind of what gets labeled the hair metal scene. And I feel like that, that particular portion of it, uh, as he usually points out, hair metal is kind of a misnomer. Uh, and it's an unfair way to name things, just like grunge is an unfair way to name things. It's more talking about the clothing style uh, of the performers versus the music. If you look at things that are classified as, uh, you know, quote unquote, hair metal, uh, the term is probably more, uh, glam metal because it derives a bit more from Kiss and even before that, David Bowie, um, you know, bands that kind of fall into that, they Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue, both don't sound, uh, much alike in a lot of ways. Uh, none of them sound like the Black Crows who get lumped in with that all the time. Um, so there's certainly a um, there's a similarity to sounds, but the overall sound or the overall vibe of that kind of scene uh, was more around the fashion than, than the music. And so uh, maybe that's kind of what led to me turning uh, my nose to it as well, since that was kind of, that was my older sister's bands. Those were the bands she got into that I got into when I was younger because my older sister was into them. So it's kind of like, oh, wow. It's kind of like, you know, people who collect Transformers, right? So like, you know, G1 is my Transformers, but it isn't necessarily everyone who listens to this show's version of Transformers. So when we turn up our, our noses at the people that like Michael Bay, or they turn up their noses at the people who grew up on the Unicron trilogy, or whatever the case may be, um, it's certainly very similar. So I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole here as well, uh, in studying for this podcast. And one of the things that kept coming up is a term called AOR. AOR is a music industry term for adult oriented rock. So, uh, in the young days of the metal scene, these kind of bled together with, you know, the glam rock, the glam metal of the day. Um, because they use similar sounding guitar tones, uh, you know, quick bits of distortion. And a lot of these AOR artists, you um, think, you know, uh, to some extent, you know, Phil Collins or, um, or Peter Gabriel or Genesis, I guess this all kind of is a bit born out of progressive rock in some ways as well. But, you know, in the 80s, and this is something that a trend that existed really well in the 80s, but it certainly dates back to the 50s and Elvis and the 60s with the Beatles and into the 70s with a group like the Bee Gees and Saturday Night Fever. I got the Saturday night fever to mama mia. In the 80s there was a hard focus on soundtracks and soundtracks being uh, a vehicle for a hit song uh, throughout the 80s. You could find this all over the place into the 90s and into the 2000s even up to today um, I feel like it's a little bit less so in the modern age, but if you think about the 80s, right, there's movies like uh, The Karate Kid or Top Gun or, you know, uh, I always used like to use Rocky 4 uh, as one uh, that is very important because I feel like that is a, uh, a rewrite of Rocky 3 uh, stapled together with a bunch of music videos um don't believe me think about it rocky 3 rocky uh needs to defend his title against this uh new adversary that is incredibly strong and no one knows where he came from said adversary kills rocky's trainer and then rocky has to find a new trainer in in uh thunder Lips and and apollo creed and bring himself uh to train and defeat said opponent Rocky IV. Rocky loses his title to an outsider from Russia this time, who is also cheating. Uh, said Russian kills Apollo Creed, Rocky's then trainer, in an exhibition fight. Rocky then needs to train and defeat his opponent and regain his title. And in the process, I mean, the big difference of Rocky IV is that Rocky ends communism and tears down the Iron Curtain. But if I can change and you can change, then we all can change. And that brings us to um, this particular compilation album. And I think that's another thing that is so 80s and 90s that doesn't really exist in a post-internet world uh, well, is the the compilation album. As a kid, I love these things. Um, it's a great way to sample artists. Um, and they usually took the form of either a label comp, which was something the record label itself would put out, uh, to highlight their own artists so that if you get a taste of a song that you like, you'll then turn around and buy the full record. Or in the form of a music soundtrack for a movie. Uh, there are so many ones that I can think of as a young teenage metalhead in the 90s that were awesome, like uh, Last Action Hero or the Judgment Night soundtrack or the Demon Night soundtrack. Notice they're not necessarily from great movies. Uh, they're from maybe entertaining movies, but not necessarily ones you would consider um, classics for the right reasons. Sometimes these kind of things uh, bled over into each other. So some labels, in particular the one that put out the Transforms, the movie soundtrack, which was Scotty Brothers Records, S C O T T I, Bros. Um, Scotty Brothers used music in movies as movie soundtracks to promote their artists as basically as label comps don't believe me let's go back to rocky 4 all right rocky 4 had big hits from robert tepper with uh there's no easy way out and john cafferty with hearts on fire also known for the other music music hit uh the big hit from eddie and the cruisers yes he's the guy you think is bruce springsteen but isn't bruce springsteen and you had you know james brown with living in america or survivor with uh eye of the tiger which is almost always on a Rocky soundtrack, and a Burning Heart, which was another Survivor track. Guess what? All those artists were signed to Scotty Brothers Records at the time. Uh, So that's kind of how the music business worked in the 80s. It was a way to push their own artists. Another artist that was signed to Scotty Brothers in the mid-80s was an artist by the name of Stan Bush.
1: You got the touch! You got the power!
0: Yeah. And then, probably what is the most recognizable song from Transformers, the movie, because you know, it also appears in the movie twice, um, The Touch by Stan Bush. Um, is the one song probably most associated with the Transformers, other than the actual cartoon theme song slash commercial uh, music, and probably with good reason. It's really is the centerpiece of this film, right? It is uh, it is the song that plays when Optimus Prime exits the shuttle at Autobot City and then just starts uh, kicking butt. Before he ends up fighting Megatron. And it's also the song that plays when Rodimus, well, when Hot Rod becomes Rodimus uh, by opening the Matrix with the uh, Arise Rodimus Prime moment. Now, let's talk a little bit about Stan Bush and uh, some of the people behind this song and the story uh, behind this song to some extent. So uh, Stan Bush uh, grew up in central Florida and uh, eventually moved to Colorado uh, to play with a band uh, that eventually got signed to Electra Records and changed their name to Boulder. He was the uh, guitar player and backing vocalist for this band, and they sounded a little bit like this. And that song called Heartbeat from their 1979 uh, self-titled album, Boulder, uh, then Bush would go on to sign to Scotty Brothers Records as a solo artist, uh, which would eventually later on after Transformers, the movie, become uh, the group Stan Bush and Barrage. Six
1: feet of rubber, that ain't too slow.
0: And I guess that's one way to roundabout get uh, the deluxe Insecticon Barrage into (laughs) uh, G1 American continuity. That song called Crank That Radio from their 1987 self-titled record. But Stan Bush wasn't the only person involved with The Touch. Uh, This song was produced by Richie Wise. Richie Wise was a well-known record producer in the rock world uh most notably he produced the first two albums for a little band called kiss uh the self-titled debut of that band and their follow-up hotter than hell which between the two records featured songs like deuce and black diamond and cold gin parasite hotter than hell and watching you uh these are all huge huge songs for kiss and uh Richie Wise was the producer behind them and if you're not terribly familiar with uh how a producer works within uh the music field uh the best way I can put it at least this is my understanding of it um is that a producer is kind of the uh the outside uh neutral party they're the person with the ear trying to just hear the music and hear the overall uh work and the layers therein and uh making sure it's something people will want to listen to so that they're not so attached uh, to it as the artist might be because they created it. Um, it's kind of like getting a third person to settle an argument for you. Uh, they, as long as they have no skin in the game, they're they're going to give you kind of an honest opinion and guide you to uh, the best possible outcome. And that is basically Richie Wise's role uh, as a producer uh, would be my understanding of it at least uh but Richie was a musician on his own uh he was the guitarist and lead vocalist in an early 70s rock band called Dust and this band featured wise on guitar and also featured a gentleman by the name of Mark Bell on drums he would later go on to be Marky Ramone of the Ramones that track for me I dig that one that is heavily uh black sabbath influenced it's called uh, suicide it's off their self-titled debut and it's from 1972 uh so it is shortly after black sabbath spent basically 2 years releasing four records uh, albums came out a lot faster in the 70s and um basically invented heavy metal in that time uh at least as we know it and kind of that's where the delineation is for a lot of fans And actually, Black Sabbath, uh, their influence spread so far that uh, if you ever want to have a little fun jumping down a musical rabbit hole, search the word Attila, uh, like Attila the Hun, and the name Billy Joel, as in, yes, the Piano Man, and check out his Black Sabbath inspired uh, 70s rock group before he was a solo artist, before he was an AOR artist, uh, where he and one other guy... Um, basically dressed up as Huns and and played uh, hard rock. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting and trippy and fun. So back to this song, The Touch. Uh, so this song was actually originally written for Sylvester Stallone. Hey, Rocky. Uh, there's a lot of ties back to uh, the Stallones in, uh, in this record. So uh, just strap in. Uh, so that was originally written for the Sylvester Stallone film, Cobra.
1: Cobra!
0: and fun fact in here so stallone was originally cast as the lead in beverly hills cop before eddie murphy uh, stallone tried to rewrite the script removing a lot of the comedy and this is the least where i can clean off of wikipedia uh the studio said his script would cost too much so that script eventually became uh the basis of the ideas for cobra So in a roundabout way, the touch for Transformers the movie was born, uh, you know, in a bit of a butterfly effect out of Stallone uh, leaving Beverly Hills Cop. And knowing how near and dear uh, the touch is to not just Transformers fans, but I think fans of pop culture and movies, um, the song itself has appeared in many places over the last 30 or so years. Uh, but the first time I remember seeing it anywhere was in the 1997 film Boogie Nights. In that film, the star of that film, Mark Wahlberg, who eventually become part of the Transformers franchise, sang uh, Boogie Nights in character as Dirk Diggler um, when he was trying to uh, expand on his career. And that song was featured as a hidden track on the Boogie Nights soundtrack.
1: You got to touch. You got to power.
0: You know, I think the bass is definitely taking away from the vocal on that recording. Uh, But what do you think he did better with? Singing The Touch or starring in two of the Michael Bay Transformers films? Go ahead, hit me up on Twitter at TFU underscore info. Tell me what you think about Mark Warburg's performance covering The Touch. And we're going to cover the next track on the soundtrack to Transformers the movie and that is track 2 from NRG Instruments of Destruction or as many Transformers fans know it, the song from the scene where all the Autobots get murdered it really is evocative of that scene Uh, the minute you hear the song all you can think of is the Decepticons blasting through the shuttle and poor Ratchet and Prowl and Braun who really isn't dead and Ironhide and just the emotional impact of that scene. The band NRG hails from New England, uh, mostly from Rhode Island, also home of Hasbro, um, with the exception of vocalist Les Brown from Massachusetts. Uh guitars for the band provided by Ernie Burns, uh, which is a uh alias, his real name, Ernie Petrangelo. Uh, bass by Pat Lynch, and drums by Lee Mangano, uh, all three of those gentlemen from Rhode Island. This song was co-written by Robin Ward and Stephen Serpa, who I really couldn't find anything uh, worth noting on. Uh, it's not the Robin Ward that was like a famous jazz singer in the 30s. Um, but uh, the song was produced by, uh, at least according to the band uh, NRG, I th- believe it was on uh, Les Brown's website, uh, the song was produced by Phil Green, uh, who produced or mixed uh, records from uh, a lot of notable New England area artists, such as the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and the Dropkick Murphys. He also mixed uh, the second album from a boy band out of the New England area called New Kids on the Block, uh, an album called Hangin' Tough, which was enormous in... 1989, 1990. Uh, He also recorded that album. That album happens to feature Donnie Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg's brother, as part of the group. Uh, Green also mixed the Eddie and the Cruiser soundtrack for Scotty Brothers. This song, uh, Instruments of Destruction, this is one of those ones that gets unfairly labeled hair metal. It is very much uh, more of a uh, Judas Priest, influenced track uh, that would kind of fall under more traditional metal or power metal uh, the, the genres, the sub-genres in metal get a little uh, overwrought at times and this track is definitely meant to evoke a feeling of listening to Judas Priest
1: Iron birds of fortune A above the sky I'll Unseen by naked eye.
0: Now, the version in Transformers the movie, in that particular verse you heard right there, Iron Birds of Fortune, those lyrics were actually changed from the original version of the song. The song lyrics were toned down just a touch since it was a kid's movie to make them less sexual and less violent, but they did record the song with the original set of lyrics. Here, give a listen. And that was definitely from the pre-movie iteration of the song uh, because I hunted down uh, a clip of the band live from actually from Ernie Petrangelo's uh, SoundCloud account. Um, He's pretty active on SoundCloud and YouTube uh, and occasionally posts uh, NRG related clips. And from this live performance in March of 1986, almost six months before the movie was released, uh, it features the original set of lyrics <laughs>
1: alright
0: so where are they now uh bassist Pat Lynch plays bass still in a Led Zeppelin cover band in the uh, New England area called Custard Pie R. I Lee Mangano gives drum lessons in the Rhode Island area. Les Brown formed a new band in two thousand three called Damn Cheetah, and they released an album called Primal. And Ernie Petrangelo carries on the NRG name. He um he appeared at on two thousand one and uh in my notes here, I wrote "oops." Uh, he had a, like a vendor table, and I have pictures of it from that year. Maybe I'll post these to Twitter. Uh, I was going to save them for when we get to two thousand one. And in part to my uh, uh, turning my nose up at this soundtrack in my younger days, uh, I didn't notice how um, unattended the NRG table was at BACON two thousand one. Uh, it had a little bit of a crowd early on, but by like mid Saturday, uh, even. Ernie Petrangelo had left the table uh, for no one to be there. It was just a blank NRG table. Uh, We took to calling them NERG uh, for whatever reason. In 2007, Petrangelo was invited to another BotCon, this time under uh, FunPub's control, and uh, was told the wrong date and showed up a day early. And uh, hung out, I guess, with uh, fans who were waiting on the pre-registration line. Do check out his YouTube channel. I'll throw a link to uh, the account in the notes of this show and in the description. Uh, Worth checking out. He has a lot of clips there, including um, this cover version of Instruments of Destruction. It was a 30th anniversary version. Uh, It features Petrangelo on guitar and bass, but also features... um, Doug Aldrich on guitar. He was the guitar player for Lion, and we'll be talking about them in a little bit. Uh, Larry Aberman on drums, who was a, a session drummer and touring drummer for the likes of uh, David Lee Roth and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Wynton Marsalis. And Mark Bolas, who was the vocalist for Ingway Malmsteen's band. And they re-recorded the 30th anniversary, once again, with the original set of lyrics.
1: Lion of for play.
0: And that takes us to the next track on the soundtrack, Death of Optimus Prime by Vince DiCola. Now, this is one of the uh, handful of score tracks that are on this album. The score would ultimately be released many years later in its entirety uh, and in various forms by the artist Vince DiCola. Uh But on this soundtrack, and I thought we might take a little deeper dive into the score this time around, but there is so much to talk about. I think we're just going to limit it to the songs that appeared on this soundtrack. Now, I got an issue with the title. Um, I know in the 80s we didn't have the term spoilers, but man, could you put any more of a huge plot detail on the back of a record that someone might see in the store by naming a track Death of Optimus Prime? Not like Death to Optimus Prime or, uh, you know, anything kind of vague. Um, that's just rough. Uh, you know, it just kind of irks me that that's the title of the song. Now, outside of Stan Bush, Vince DiCola might be the most recognizable name uh, when it comes to musicians involved with the Transformers. Uh, and his road to this film is actually uh, tied up with a number of things we've already talked about. So, he got his start scoring... Uh, films, uh, co-writing on the movie Staying Alive, which was a sequel to Saturday Night Fever that I did not even know existed uh, until researching this article. And not only that, it was actually voted by Entertainment Weekly somewhere around 10 years ago as the worst franchise sequel of all time. Uh, And this film was directed by... Sylvester Stallone. Vince DiCola co-wrote three songs with Sylvester Stallone's brother, Frank Stallone. And uh, two of the songs that he co-wrote with Frank Stallone, he also co-wrote with Joe Esposito. Uh, You may better know him as Joe Bean Esposito, the singer on the Karate Kid soundtrack that sang You're the Best Around. The third track was a song called Far From Over, which peaked at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard charts. And aside from being the brother of Sylvester Stallone, Transformers fans may know Frank Stallone as the voice of... Thunderhoof, the Decepticon, in the 2017 Transformers cartoon Robots in Disguise. And from there, this led Vince DiCola to score Rocky IV, uh, which was on Scotty Brothers, as we mentioned earlier. That would eventually lead him to work on the Transformers, the movie score. So an interview I found online from just this past April uh, on a podcast called The Soundtrack Show. DeColo kind of broke down uh, just what he had to do in terms of uh, scoring Transformers, the movie. He only had uh, six weeks to work on the whole film, uh, and he only had storyboards to work from. He was paired with Ed Fruget, who would essentially be his uh, co-producer on this, and um, would mainly work as the music editor, though he wasn't credited as the music editor on the film. So in these six weeks, DeCola would basically write and record, and Frugier would then be at the studio working with the editors um, in timing out the music to fit the film. And these tracks, as far as I know, are all synths and sequencers. I don't know if there's any live drums or live bass on these tracks, but I don't think there are. Um, But this particular track, Death of Optimus Prime, certainly brings that scene to mind. I mean I can't just say it enough this this track certainly does bring every minute of that that scene that traumatized so many people of my generation uh, of Optimus Prime lying on on that table and eventually uh, passing away it's a It's a bit of a haunting track, and you know for someone who didn't have any animation in front of him and was only walk, working off the storyboards and according to that interview, had never seen the cartoon Uh, because he didn't want to have the music of the show influence his writing, uh, did an incredible job in terms of evoking uh, the emotion of the moment. Now, if you were ever wondering what Ed Fruget is up to these days, he worked in the music industry for a while, and eventually would go on to open his own uh, music store in Louisiana.
2: Hi, I'm Ed Frugier with Lake Charles Music. We specialize in bringing you entertainment through music. Our first floor features pro sound systems and amps, the hottest guitars and killer drum sets and accessories. On our second floor, we carry new and used acoustic pianos, digital pianos, and portable keyboards. Home entertainment, we got that too. We can design and install your home entertainment system featuring Yamaha and Klipsch. Want to record? Oh yeah, we can do that. Check out our professional recording studio. Lake Charles Music, your total music store with your favorite brands and at a price that'll make you smile.
0: Now, believe it or not, there is at least one cover version of this song out there, though cover is probably um, a nice way of putting it. So the composer for the Commodore 64 game, Turrican, um, straight up plagiarized a lot of Dakota's music for the soundtrack for that game, including the ending music for When You Beat the Game, which is a more up-tempo version of Death of Optimus Prime. To the track on this record that is a uh, collaboration between Stan Bush and Vince DiCola, and that is the song "Dare," uh, and that is also co-written with a gentleman by the name of Scott Shelley. Shelley. Shelley, Shelley was the guitarist in an AOR band called The Strand, and they released a couple of records, including their self-titled debut, which features uh, this song, "Rocket Tonight." And you can definitely hear Shelley's influence in this song. Uh, the driving rock, the keyboards, it's, it's all kind of a bit mix of uh, their writing styles. Uh, you can certainly hear that in Dare. on this track and uh, its long-lasting impact. I'm going to toss it over to my friend Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman.
3: Greetings, fellow Transformer fans. Salty Seaman here talking about a track from uh, the Transformers the movie soundtrack that uh, I think is a little underrated, uh, at least in the mainstream. Obviously, the big track off of Transformers the movie is the Uh, Main song, uh, The Touch by Stan Bush, it is. Even among those who are only the most casual or vaguely remember the movie from their childhood will remember this song. It was, of course, used also in Boogie Nights. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a pop culture touchstone. However, I always, even since I was a kid, thought Dare was the better song. Uh, For one thing, uh, it's just... I just I just feel it's a little more hop a little more energetic, a little more poppy. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the touch. It is what it is. It's a good song. It's a good song for what it is. But uh, D- Dare just just had that that in- that energy and that I feel more of an 80s uh, soundtrack kind of vibe and it, it captures it very well as uh, it's definitely all about the hook and the chorus you know, if you actually sit there and listen to the entire song and not just the, the clip from the movie uh you know the 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 the, the main uh, lyrics structure is nothing special it's a typical you know tension build to the uh, chorus release and but it works it's you know it's nothing original or unique i mean let's face it stan bush is uh well i mean he's kind of a poor man's peter satre uh, if you don't know Peter Cetera from the 80s, yeah, shame on you. But he is the uh, former leadman of uh, Chicago. And he went solo and he wrote a ton of uh, songs you remember from movies. And he had a very distinctive style and kind of defined the era. And essentially everyone else, you know, well, I don't think he was the innovator of that sound, but pretty much everyone else who did similar work in the 80s kind of copied him. And uh, Stan Bush is no uh, different. But, uh, you know, however, you know, being unoriginal and a bit cheesy does not make it a bad song. That is the the quirk of music. You can still enjoy something even recognizing, OK, this is, you know, a very, very, there is a very, very Peter Cetera style uh, track. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's really aping his kind of style. It, it's, it builds the same way, but it's it, it provides that kind of you know, release and enjoyment of, you know, kind of an epic swelling, uh, you know, building rock song that can inspire and motivate, you know, despite, you know, its, you know, shortcomings and other things, you know, it's like St. Elmo's Fire, speaking of, you know, I don't care what anyone says, that is one of the best of that genre from the 80s, I think, and I can listen to that song every day. Uh, I, I feel Dare is the same way. And, uh, you know, personally, I just always felt it's a bit of a, uh just just underrated and is not talked about except outside of the more hardcore transformer fandom. And you know, on a personal note, I just think it would be uh I would have preferred that to be the lead song, but you know there is there is what it is and it has its place, but uh I mean the touch. but for certain, uh, overlooked, underrated, really fun song. Especially if you're into that '80s kind of cheese rock soundtrack movie soundtrack stuff. Anyways, that's all I gotta say about Dare. And uh, if you ever want to hear any more musical talk between me and Aunt, uh, probably check out our very very erratically posted uh, heavy metal uh, show. It's on my own channel, The Salty Seaman, under the name Clash with a Manatee. So, throwing that. Hopefully, we'll have another episode up soon. So, my advertisement here is not gone to
0: waste. <laughs> anyways back to you anthony and don't forget you can catch gabe on his youtube channel the salty seaman www.youtube.com recharge 138 that is r-e-c-h-a-r-g-e one three eight personally for me uh dare is probably the the standout track on the record and uh certainly i think it's better than the touch uh it's definitely underrated uh, overall, uh, it, you know, I never having really listened to the soundtrack version, the full version, cause I, you think the whole song's in the movie, but a lot of it's covered by dialogue. Um, and there's some things in there that, uh, just really spoke to me as someone who loves music. Um, you know, towards the back end, there's a quick change of the lyrics and the, uh, that changes the word, uh, you know, keep your dreams alive to keep your love alive. And, uh, I personally like the, the play on words. Uh, with dare and there. Um, not necessarily words that rhyme. I mean, I guess they do, but um, the, the sounds at the front of those words, the D and the TH, um, as someone who grew up in New York City, those can kind of be the same sound a lot of the time. Um, you know, it's over there. Um, and so um, using that as a um, as a lyrical method uh, is pretty cool to me. Um, and I'm surprised because I did not find many covers of this song uh, floating around the internet. Um, Of course, there's Cybertronic Spree, but I'm not touching Cybertronic Spree in this podcast because uh, what they do is very specific to Transformers, and I wanted to find things that were kind of out of the ordinary uh, for the cover versions that we introduce in this episode. And I was able to find one, and that one comes... From a YouTube user named Katherine Slaymaker. And she did a cover of Dare on a ukulele. Check it out.
1: You can fly if you try the past behind Heaven.
0: Five of this album. Nothing's going to stand in our way, as performed by Spectre General. General. Now, Spectre General wasn't actually a real band as much as it was a pseudonym for a real band. For whatever legal reasons, and I couldn't really find out why, and it's kind of counterintuitive to why bands appear on soundtracks because it's to promote who they are, um, Spectre General had to change their name from their actual name of kick Now, kick was a Canadian band out of Regina, Saskatchewan, uh, signed to a label, not Scotty Brothers, called uh, Pasha Records. Now, that record label was owned by producer Spencer Poffer. Now, he is kind of a big name in the music industry, a uh, prolific and powerful writer and producer, uh, produced bands such as Heart and the Beach Boys and Wasp and Kickaxe. <laughs> Now, if you noticed a little bit about Kick Axe's sound, uh, it was very similar to Quiet Riot, uh, another band that Proffer produced. In fact, he produced uh, the Metal Health album, which was the first rock album to top the Billboard 200. Now, Proffer also produced another band out of Australia at the time called Little River Band. And in the mid-'80s, Little River Band was fronted by a gentleman by the name of John Farnham. Now, Farnham had written and recorded Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way. This is, in fact, a cover song. Um, And he had written and recorded this song for the film Savage Streets, starring Linda Blair, in 1984. Now, I'm guessing your mind is just as blown as mine was when I heard that Natalie Imbruglia's Torn was a cover. Uh, But yeah, this song is a cover, and an interesting thing to note in the music of this song. The intro and the chorus features a guitar line uh, that sounds a lot like Michael Jackson's Beat It. And that line uh, isn't entirely present in the Spectre General version. It's much more stripped down. And what wasn't stripped down, but in fact uh, turned up to 11, is the next track on this record, the Transformers theme song, as performed by the band Lion. As a long-standing fan of metal and one that feels the term glam metal often gets uh, misused or uh, applied to a band because of one song or another. Uh, this band is not to be confused with uh, the Long Island band of White Lion uh, who had big hits with the songs Wait and Lady of the Valley and a cover of Radar Love. Um, this is not the same band. Lion consisted of vocalist cal swan who was originally the vocalist of a band called titan t-y-t-a-n which was part of the uh movement out of britain called the new wave of british heavy metal uh guitars by doug aldrich as previously mentioned uh in the show uh bass by jerry best and drums by mark edwards now now edwards may be better known for being the drummer of a band called Steeler, which was the first band of guitar virtuoso Ingve Malmsteen. Now, Lion would break up in 1989 kind of because of Edwards. Uh, Edwards, and I'm going to quote this straight off his Wikipedia page, suffered a broken neck after falling off a cliff while competing in a motorcycle race. So basically, he was competing in a motocross race, made a bad turn, and drove his motorcycle off the cliff, and. Uh, broke his neck or his back. I've seen two different uh, uh, iterations of that. But uh, Edwards, at least according to what I could find on the internet, uh, now works in public relations at a Texas PR firm. Swan and Aldrich would eventually go on to form a band called Bad Moon Rising, uh, and apparently they were big in Japan. Um, And then Aldrich would go on to play in bands such as Whitesnake and Dio. Uh, Jerry Best would go on to play in Dio as well, but at a different time than Aldrich, and eventually would join the solo band of a gentleman by the name of Mike Tramp, who was the frontman of the aforementioned White Lion. So that means Best played for both Lion and the singer of White Lion. He would also play uh, previously in a project of Tramp's called Freak of Nature. Uh, Best was also uh, the bassist for Courtney Love in her solo project. Now this is another one that was kind of tricky to find, a uh, cover version of but scouring youtube i was able to find this a band out of hong kong called bamboo star and here is their take on lion's take of the transformers theme song
1: something watching over you.
0: So that takes us to the next Vince Cola soundtrack clip and that is Escape. And again, with the synth uh, basically doing everything here, it's interesting to note the the bass tones and the the drum sounds uh, and how those were done. And for more, I'm going to toss it to uh, a listener, one of our Patreon supporters, and a drummer,
2: the gamer going gray, David Shawls. The Transformers movie soundtrack was the first CD I ever bought off of Amazon.com way back in 2000. I drums to it on my drum set all the time and probably behind the touch because it was the first track, the one I would go back most to was Escape. Track 7 for those of you who are keeping track. It just was a great thing to drum to. It had a very slow melodic start and then it just had so many different phrasings that didn't just keep going back and forth between the same beats overall. And it was great because Mysticola, while it is all sampled drum stuff and it's all synthesized, he wrote it that it could be easily just drummed to. Like, he didn't try to make you hit three things at once with your hands, Or have weird beats that just don't feel right. It was good 80s synth rock and I loved it. I loved the whole soundtrack but I went back to Escape the most. Later in college I actually started transposing the song to do as a percussion ensemble with a drum set still for me to play and then to um making the synthesizers into like xylophone marimba vibraphone i didn't get very far on that it was just a project that fizzled out but i did print out what i did get done and i took it to botcon 2000 2002 i think it was yeah botcon 2002 and got vince Dicola to take a look at what i had done he's like oh this is looking pretty good he couldn't um, and I asked him, it's like, is any of this ever going to get put out onto actual, like, scores so we can actually fully study it? He's like, oh, I think we're going to do that in the future. And that never happened. But he did seem flattered that I was taking his stuff and trying to uh, make my own uh, percussion project out of it. It's a great piece. It's a, during a great part of the, um, of the movie itself. You know, Autobots prepare to board the shuttles. You know, and then right when the uh, Decepticons come, it does the build up, and then it just—it keeps doing dives and falls the whole time, helps keep the tension up until that final guitar riff as they escape. It's terrific. You
0: know, originally I was gonna put a cover of Escape that I found on YouTube, but. A few minutes after David had sent me his audio contribution to this episode, uh, he dug up the sound file of uh, his version of Escape. So instead of playing some cover by some, you know, random YouTuber, we're going to give David's clip a listen. Takes us to track number eight, a second track from Spectre General. And this song is Hunger uh, and is definitely, to me, the theme for Quintessa.
1: I need to see, gives me the will to
0: And again, for another band that is uh, produced by Spencer Proffer, it uh, features a big chorus, and in this time, a bit of a slower groove. And this rhythm section, you know, the first thing I thought of was Ozzy Osbourne bassist Rudy Sarzo, because um, this sounds like something he would play, these kind of like quarter note bass parts that kind of plot along with the kick drum. And then I realized that Rudy Sarzo was also the bass player of Quiet Riot. Now, this song was actually covered a year prior to its being released by Spectre General. Now, the guys in Kickaxe, Axe, a.k.a. Spectre General, uh, wrote this song. But the song would be recorded in 1985 by a band called King Cobra, which featured former Ozzy Osbourne drummer Carmine Appice as the main attraction in the band. So from Hunger, we double back at least in terms of story portions of the movie to another Vince DiCola track called Autobot Decepticon Battle. Uh, And this is the theme to the Battle of Autobot City. You can't hear the first couple of notes of this song and not hear uh, uh, Perceptor trying to explain to Ultra Magnus that uh, we are outnumbered as far as the Autobots are concerned. And uh, there are some... Uh, subtle layers in the music that I really think are neat. There's some uh, timing things with uh, the percussion kind of filling in little gaps, little binks and bonks here and there uh, as the rest of the music, the bass in particular, pauses uh, and there's these little open gaps. Here's a quick listen. Again, as do a lot of these Vince DeCola tracks, uh, they just evoke that emotion of watching the film. Uh, The music is such a piece of the film. It is woven so perfectly into the visuals that anytime you hear part of the music to the film, uh, you instantly think of the scene. And this song is no exception. This song is the entirety of the Battle of Autobot City until um, the touch is played uh, when Optimus Prime arrives. Now, I didn't have too much trouble finding a cover version of this. However, I did have to verify the cover version of this. So there is a clip that I guess was floating around in about 2006 by an artist called Ol Drake, O-L Drake, Old Drake. And uh, it turns out that is, in fact, guitarist of the thrash metal band Evile, Oliver Drake, and uh, he eventually would leave Evil for a little bit and do a solo album as Old Drake, uh, and the album was actually called Old Rake, which is a, an incredible play on words. So I uh, I messaged uh, Old Drake on Twitter just to confirm that this track was in fact him, because it's from before Evil was signed, and uh, it was not posted by Evil or um oliver drake himself and uh he was kind enough to get back to me and tell me yes in fact it is him and uh he loves this song so this is a really great guitar cover of autobot decepticon battle and uh there's a lot of neat tricks in this song let's give it a listen And if you want to go check that out on YouTube, I'll include a link in the description for you to follow. And hey, if you want to uh, shout out Old Drake over on Twitter as well, um, hit him up. He's on Twitter at Old underscore Rake. And don't forget to check out Evila, their great retro uh, thrash band. I guess retro is not the right word. They were part of this big thrash revival about 10 years ago and uh they certainly uh are one of the best at it but that takes us to the final track on this record and it's arguably the most out of place song on here and that is dare to be stupid by none other than weird al yankovic and uh this song is actually a title track from one of his records um and according to uh an archived version of weird al's old website where he answered fan questions Basically, the story goes is that he got a phone call from the record label, his record label, Scotty Brothers, and uh, he was asked if uh, they could use one of his songs for a soundtrack, and he saw it as an opportunity for, you know, to make a little extra cash, because the more that sells, the more he makes, and he said, sure, yeah, and that was it. It wasn't like the song was written for Transformers the Movie, or uh, for the soundtrack, Uh, it's just one track that's just placed on the record. And it's kind of out of place, which is interesting to see that they used it in the scene on Junkion because that whole scene is a little bit out of place. And it's kind of meant to match with the Junkions, right? The Junkions speak in TV. And this song lyrically speaks in um, cliches or in anti cliches by telling you to do the opposite of all the cliches or just speaking in non sequiturs.
1: You, what can you do? be stupid Take some Look for Mr Get your mojo working now I'll show you how you can be stupid
0: And since we're we're talking about the lyrics to this song, can I tell you how much I love the first line of this song? Put
1: down the chainsaw and listen to me It's time for us to join in the fight
0: Put down that chainsaw. And listen to me. What situation have you ever had to one, either utter that phrase, or two, just to think about the situation that the singer of the song is in at the moment? There is somebody using a chainsaw with a directed purpose of using a chainsaw. And he's got to be like, Look, I know you're busy with the chainsaw, but we really need to talk right now. The chainsaw is kind of loud. I need to tell you these things can you please put down the chainsaw because we do need to talk? And what is that chainsaw being used for? And why was this the good time to have this conversation? So as far as an opening line goes, um, that is one that just makes me think and wonder, and I find a lot of fun. Now, this song was meant to sound like the band Devo. And... For those of you who are not familiar with Devo, they were an 80s kind of new wave band that had this unique kind of sound. Uh, There's really no other way to put it. This isn't a spoof of a particular song that like Weird Al would be usually uh, known for, such as, you know, Beated or I Lost on Jeopardy or uh, Like a Surgeon. You know, those songs are spoofs of particular artists, particular songs. This is more of a stylistic spoof of Devo as a whole. You know, so despite Weird Al's massive popularity, um, I couldn't find a lot of covers of this song. I did find one by your mother.
2: Say hi to your mother for me, okay?
0: No, no, the band is called Your Mother. Uh, They released an EP in 1997. They're a punk band out of California. uh, And they released an EP of Weird Al covers called Weird Album. So let's take a listen and uh, say hello to your mother for me.
1: Low, Look Get out. I'll you how. Get be
0: and that is the entire track listing for the album that is Transformers the Movie, the soundtrack. And, you know, and the feel of the music in here versus the feel of the music in the cartoon... Uh, is definitely different. Just like the movie um, is definitely different than the cartoon feels. And for more on that, I'm going to toss it to my friend, Robo Rob Springer. The Transformers movie soundtrack just
4: kind of seemed out of nowhere. You know, it was like, you had two, two seasons of this cartoon, effectively two years, with what was kind of standard cartoon music at the time and then they they make this movie and of course it's you know it's violent and you know bigger and badder I guess and whatever for the movie theater so I guess they decided to give it this big hard rock soundtrack but I still remember um I forget how old I was I was in the third grade sitting there with my cherry slushy um movie starting the whole unicron eats the planet thing kind of staring like wow and then you know there's lions transformers you like blow kind of like whoa and you know of course i'm a kid so i'm like this is amazing and my brother who's a teenager he's sitting um in a different part of the theater with a friend of ours that was at the theater at the same time because you know the older kids can't sit with mom and little brother they clearly were like yeah when it started up you know and just that soundtrack um honestly became something of a just cool thing to talk about like i don't know if cool thing to talk about is the right word to use but like it was almost maybe like an urban legend for a while until the movie started getting more well known. I guess because like you would tell people about like yeah and like they're killing each other and they're playing like heavy metal and, and and it was it was super cool. It's not like the show, and that's how you talked when you talked about it, and no one would believe you. I remember my brother had like a copy of the soundtrack on tape. And, you know, of course, all the other kids were like, you're lame. You're watching kids cartoons. You make me a copy of that, I'll get you a tape. So, like, he ended up, like, wearing out his copy, making copies for other people that the movie wasn't cool enough for. It's kind of strange. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Ant might cover it here in the show. Uh, I don't know why they decided to go that route. I guess just making it bigger and badder for the movie theater for the moviegoer experience.
0: But I think we're all a little better for it. Now you can catch Rob on his monthly Transformers podcast called Transform Squadron. And that's over on the radio free Cybertron network, tfradio.net. And you can also catch Rob at his website, www.zonebase.org. It is a great blog on really obscure and fun Transformers things. So that, just about wraps things up for our dive into transformers the movie the soundtrack and the score and i know i didn't go too deep into the score here but that was released way later but guess what that's just another episode for us to do later on what are your thoughts on the score and the soundtrack i want to know reach out to me all right let's see there's ways you can do it info at tfu.info is the email address Twitter, the absolute best way to get in touch with me is at TFU underscore info. You can comment on this video on YouTube, youtube.com slash TFU info, or you can catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TFU info or Instagram at instagram.com slash TFU info. Share with me your thoughts, your memories, your whatever about this particular soundtrack. I really do want to know what you think. Um, as I was researching this album, uh, it really did occur to me that this album holds such an important place to Transformers fans, maybe more so to other people than me. And so with that in mind, I really do want to know how and why tell me, tell me, please. Uh, because, uh, I, I enjoyed this episode a lot more as a historical fact finding thing. Uh, but I did get to, uh, Really get a new appreciation for a lot of these songs, especially Instruments of Destruction, which uh, I really thought was a goofy song before uh, diving into this particular episode. Finally, if you want to help the site, uh, let's talk about a few ways you can do that. Patreon. Patreon.com slash TFU Info, $1 a month, gets you in, gets you early access to the show at least 24 hours ahead of everyone else, sometimes days or weeks ahead of everyone else. The higher levels will get you uh, some more exclusive access to either the show or to special content and exclusive podcasts or videos. But if you don't want to do that, uh, please use our Amazon link, uh, tfu.info slash Amazon. Anything you buy on Amazon, they kick back some change our way. Of course, if you just use the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfu info, uh, subscribe. Please ring that alert bell as well. Uh, the more... We get views over on YouTube the more YouTube sends a couple of pennies our way as well. Lastly, if you use the website www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive, there are links all over the new design of the site. I'm still working on the new design. Uh, I'm slogging my way through 2002, uh, and I've just finished on my own, on my side, uh, the Autobot folder. So um, that should be moving along pretty quickly after this, and uh, we should be getting closer to modern times uh real soon but the further i get along the easier every subsequent year gets but as i was saying there are links at the bottom of every entry on tfu.info to ebay and to amazon if you click those same thing anything you buy over at amazon or over on ebay uh, they hook us up uh, with a little change off the sale now, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you like the show, please leave us a review wherever it is, YouTube or on iTunes. Uh, I guess that's Apple Podcasts now these days. Um, Google Podcasts, Google Play, whatever, Google Platform, Stitcher, Spotify. We are just about everywhere. So wherever you can leave a nice review and say some nice things about the show, help people find out about the show, please do. If you got a friend who hasn't listened, get on their case. Tell them to uh, give the show a listen. I uh, We are 66 episodes in, and we are cranking forward through 1986. So next time on the show, we are wrapping up the Find Your Fate, Jr. series of books from Valentine Books. And uh, there are three left, and we are going to cover them all. I have them sitting right here on my desk. I'm about to start reading through them and mapping out... Uh, our destinies in each book uh, should be a lot of fun and we got a lot more coming up in 1986 Uh, there are so many more episodes to cover we still have a lot of season three left we have a lot of marvel uk a lot of the marvel us run uh, and so much more our behind the numbers episode is coming up soon Uh, toy lines from around the world are peppered in throughout our 1986 coverage and uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun heading forward so i really hope you enjoyed this episode Onward to episode 67, I am your host, owner, operator, madman, behind tfu.info, Anthony Bercali. Until next time, see ya.